0: Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 61, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 9. So, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 9. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release them from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. And so they will inherit a double portion in their land and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge they are a people the Lord has blessed. God bless our reading of his word. I'm going to ask Benson to come up and I'm going to pray for him just now. Benson. Father, we just thank you so much for this man. And just that phrase, it will be called oaks of righteousness. And in this man, we see an oak of righteousness. We thank you for him, we thank you again for his family, we thank you for the work that he's involved in, we thank you for his love of you, God. And we just ask this morning that we will hear from heaven, that this will be that thin place between earth and heaven where we hear directly from the courts of the Lord, and that you will use this man mightily, in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Thank you, Sister. Yeah. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, it's really great pleasure for me to be here. Uh, thank you, Pastor Nick, and the leadership of the Southside Church for having me here. Indeed, it's a privilege. This is my first trip in the UK, and so I'm really enjoying it. I've um, been eating a lot of food, and uh, my friend Andy has been taking me to all the places. He took me the other day to Italian food to Indian food, and like, when will you take me to eat Scottish food? <laughs> so I'm hoping that uh, before I leave uh, this evening, that you'll take me to one of the Scottish foods so that uh, I can have a taste of it. Yeah, so thank you so much again for this particular opportunity, indeed, it's a great pleasure. I'm coming from Kenya, greetings from Kenyan office, uh, they were praying for me to, to be here, and indeed, it's a privilege. As we've had the work that we do, uh, many times we are exposed to human rights violations, horrendous acts. And uh, as personally, many times it leaves me with a lot of questions, Question that really bothers me. Like, why would somebody decide to abuse their power and oppress the other one? What do they gain out of it? What value does it add to them? And as a Christian, what is my role? These questions have really been troubling me, and they do trouble me. At a JM, we are exposed every other day to cases and stories of human suffering. Suffering not because of a natural disaster, but suffering because somebody decided to oppress, to injure, to harm the other person. My background is counseling and social work. So I've counseled children. One of the other cases that we do, which I didn't want to mention because the children are here, it's cases where children are sexually violated. Small children. The youngest child that I've ever we've handled a case was two years. And you listen to that, I've counseled with children who have gone through those difficult things. In Ghana, I have met and rescued children, young children who are exposed to very hard labor. Who are sold out as a commodity. They sold out for less than $50. And that's it. And as many times I asked the parents when we rescue them and like, would you be willing to have this child back? And some of them feel like they don't because that was a commodity that they sold. And it's heartbreaking. In Kenya, We've gone to the police, uh, to the uh, cells, to the prison, and we have intervened in cases where people are falsely accused of a crime that's a capital crime, meaning that if they're found guilty, they'll be hanged. But since we've never had anyone hanged since 1987, they're subject to life imprisonment. And so with all this, I ask myself, where can we get the answers? As a Christian, I go to the Bible. And I say, is there something in the Bible like God? What do you expect me to? What do you talk about? Issues of suffering and injustice and abuse. And in fact, the Bible records about it. And it says that the Lord hates violence. The Lord hates injustice. He loves justice. And the scene of injustice has been permeating in our community and in our society that has become a reality to the people living under it. It becomes just a daily experience. People that are subjected to suffering. So the body of Christ, when we experience this desperate Situations of human violations, many times we get confused and we can be overwhelmed by just seeing the evil that can be meted out by other human beings. In such a situation, we may even doubt our ability to bring any meaningful change. Worse still, we can even resign to despair and cynicism and conclude that God is never concerned about this. And he will never act. Friends, I must confess, have felt this way many times at a JM. Like, is my work really making any significant improvement? When we are faced with overwhelming need, does it make any impact? Or is my work just a small piece of it that is insignificant have felt that way? We heard about the story of David. David, who was violated and beaten and brutalized and shot three times, losing his arm. He overcame, he went to school, we supported him. He went to university and now he's a lawyer reaching out and rescuing those who have been violated. There are several other cases that we've handled of people who are falsely accused for capital offenders, and we have intervened and rescued them. And we have a good ending because um, they are free, and they can now live in. As much as they have wasted their time in prison, they can be able to live on. But the other aspect is where police use their guns to shoot people. In fact, this is so prevalent that in 2017, Amnesty International said that Kenya is leading in extrajudicial killing. People who are executed by the police, the same same police who are supposed to protect them. And so these things really bothers me. So AJM, we intervene, we investigate, we represent them. But not all the cases end up like Makara, where there's freedom. And they can have life thriving. Take for example, Joseph. Joseph was born in a poor family. He was orphaned at such a young age. So he came to Nairobi to make a living. And the most common business in Nairobi is when you get a motor, motorbike and you ferry people from one place to the other and they give you some little money. We call it boda-boda. Border border. So Joseph chose to do this living, his honest living, to support his wife and young daughter. Then one day, like other countless days, he was stopped by the police for no reasons. Sergeant Deliman stopped him and then shot him, perhaps by mistake, on the right hand. So to cover up for that particular crime, Sergeant Deliman then falsely accused Josford. Many Kenyans will just give up because they can't fight the police. But with Josfat, this was not the case. When we met Josfat, he was determined. He had reported to various officers that he would get help. He had reported to our newly formed independent policing oversight authority. So eventually he came to IJM and we took up that particular case. It was a privilege for us to represent Josfat, he was quiet, calm, and determined. We had to move him, together with his family, to safety. He was relentless, and he believed that every child of God, every Kenyan, deserves dignity. He looked forward on June 23, 2016, to defend his rights, and together with JM lawyers, to have those particular rights restored. How about Willie? Willie trained as a lawyer, but he worked with us as an investigator. Willie had a true and living faith which defined every aspect of his life. Willie was admitted as an advocate of the high court in 2011. He was the youngest of his 11 siblings who had sacrificed to have him go to university. In fact, he was the only one in the family to reach that highest level of education. He was a pride of his family. While still at the university, Willie had already identified his area of interest, defending the poor whose rights have been violated. As an investigator, Willie combined his legal and inquisitive mind to document cases of murder and violent assault by the police. Willis was my friend. I first met Willie in 2013 when we jointly worked on our case of police violation. Willie was always jovial, friendly, full of energy. We immediately developed a friendship that will exchange notes on some of the cases that we could be handling. I was amazed at Willie's determination and his work. In 2014, early, I called Willie to our office. And together with our investigator, director of investigation at our office, we persuaded him to join IJM, because we knew how diligent diligent he was with his work. Will was grateful to that consideration, but he, he said that he needed more time because he had been employed recently to an independent policing oversight authority. So he wanted to strengthen it fast before he could move on. And we respected that, and that year, the same year, in August, I moved to Ghana to establish an IJM office there to deal with child uh, trafficking. In February 2015, eventually, while I was still in Ghana, Will joined IJM Kenya to be our lead investigator in cases of police abuse. He quickly established himself as a courageous and a dedicated uh, worker. It was clear that he was destined for great things. Willie loved to laugh. He also learned and was always trying out new things and new ways of doing things. Willie investigated just for this case. It was a very complex case, but he gathered all the evidence, visiting crime scene talking with different witnesses, conducting full-screen reconstruction, and he convinced the office that Joseph had innocently been brutalized by the police officer and he needed our defense. And he was right, and we took up the case. Willie worked long hours, often evenings and weekends. His beloved wife, Hannah, and his two sons, Castro and Peterson, freely supported him in this venture. So on June 22nd, on 22nd 2016, Willie with Joseph Mururi, one of our trusted taxi driver, planned to pick Joseph from the safety home to go to court early in the morning of June 23rd. Joseph Mururi was one of our trusted taxi driver. We considered Joseph as one of our one of us. He was very critical to the mission. Of protecting the poor, he was always dependable, always kind, helpful, and thoughtful. He was never moved on what he was to gain, but rather what service to give. So, early morning of June 23, 2016, Joseph picked Willie, and together they headed to Joseph's place so that they could go to court because the case was coming up for hearing. So Joseph, Willie, and Josford were met by a second team of IGM lawyers, a legal intern, and a driver, and they headed to, to court. Two police officers gave the evidence that particular day. Then the first IGM team headed to the office. Willie, Joseph decided to drop Josford back to his safe home before retiring home because it was getting it would be late by the time they would be back. But they did not make it. We believe that Willie, Joseph, and Josfat were stopped in their car immediately after they had left the court by Sergeant Deliman and his two other partners in crime. Willie, Josfat and Joseph were detained together with a, uh, they were police officers with a civilian. So the civilian took the car, drove up to the other side of the road, took their phones and threw their phones and then he dumped the car. Late that particular afternoon, two witnesses were passing through a police post called Sokumau, where Willie, Joseph, and Joseph had been detained. They were confined in this container, which everyone in the neighborhood knew was being used as an illegal cell. But Willie, being quick to think, he wrote a note and signaled one of the Motorbike riders out there, and threw a note to them, and the note was addressed with the hit a number of Joseph's wife. Say, call IJM and tell them that uh, Willie and Joseph are in, de- in great danger. So that motorbike rider took that note and the number, quickly calling Rebecca, the wife, to Joseph. But since it was a foreign number on her phone, she refused to receive it. She thought, maybe this is a scab. Why is this person bothering me? I don't have the person in my phone number. So the person continually called. In the evening, she eventually decided, who has this been bothering me? And then when she received the call, the motorbike rider gave the information and immediately she called IJM. That was around 8 p.m. Immediately she called a GM. We realized that the, this, Willie and Joseph had, uh, had, and, and Joseph had not reached home. So we mobilized uh, a team and we went to the police station where they had indicated that they had been detained. Around 10 p.m., we reached at that particular police station. Of course, the police refused to acknowledge that they had been detaining those three. There was no record to show that they were there, despite the fact that there had been a note showing that they were at this particular police station. So they denied everything. The frantic search for these three just had begun. We, for the week following, we went to different places, to the mortuaries, to the hospitals, to every other places. We involved the police, trying to find out, trying to track their phone number. We couldn't find them. A.J.M. and our partners mobilized a massive demonstration calling for the three to be produced. Investigators flew from the UK, from the US, to come in and help in the search for the three. The team worked day in, day out to be able to find them. The Kenya Law Society also called for a week-long demonstration. All the lawyers downed their tools. also we mobilized our partners. We did demonstration on the street, calling for these three to be produced. We had ambassadors, the UK ambassador, the US ambassador, putting pressure on the government to make sure that uh, the three had been produced. Then, a week later, on June 30th, Willie, Joseph, and Josfat's body were discovered in a river. They had been put in now uh, sacks, and they'd been dumped there. By that time I was in Ghana, so I flew immediately to Kenya to come and support the family. Immediately I came in, uh, the IGM director, by then Claire gave me to be in charge of the family supporting them and preparing for the burial arrangement for the three. I mobilised being a counsellor, other counsellors to provide social, psychosocial support to the family members. The day that was so difficult for me was the day of the postmortem. I assembled a team of counsellors to just stand along with the family members, and their bodies were brought in there so that each family member could identify them before they can start the postmortem. The bodies had been disfigured for having stayed long in the water. I could stand the anguish, the pain, the loss the family were going through. Having known these people, I realized that seeking justice is such an expensive affair. At that particular moment, my zeal for justice was reinforced like never before. Having known Willie personally and as a friend, seeing him lying there. Joseph, our client, and Joseph. In the weeks and months following, our team worked tirelessly to support a first-class investigation into the murder, to mobilize unprecedented outpouring of public demand for accountability and support the families of Willie, Joseph, and Joseph. Within a month, Sergeant Deliman and three other police officers and the civilians were arrested and charged. All are still facing uh, trial at the moment. We also provided psychosocial support both to the family and also to the team. The trial matter is still going on since 2016 November. That eight witnesses have testified and uh, the case is still going on. We are so grateful for how fast it has moved, but remember it's three years ever since. And justice has not been served. And that's why we keep on pushing that justice is served. It's clear that the amount of Willie, Joseph and Joseph, was predeterminated, premeditated, and planned. The target was Joseph. Fatt. We think because of his presumption in challenging Sergeant Deliman, Joseph and Willie were murdered for doing their job, for being with Josfat. On 23rd, they were headed there at Sokimao Police Camp. Then when the dark, darkness came in, they were taken to a remote area where they were murdered. Then they were stuck into gunny bags and they had to be driven 42 kilometers to be dumped in a river. In fact, the plan was that they didn't want their bodies to ever been discovered. The loss of Willie, Joseph, and Joseph is still very fresh to our JM Kenya team. We thought that we understood police abuse of power through the many witwe clans that we have served and gotten out of the prison. The Kenyan team, when I met them, when I had come from Ghana, I had expected that of course many of them will count the cost and even resigned. But I saw a new determination. None of them, none of the team ever resigned. In fact, the number increased, and they're determining that the death of Joseph William Josford would be a turning point in the history of Kenya. To tell you the truth, I was bitter with God. Because when I heard that they had been missing, I mobilized my colleagues in Ghana to pray, and we really prayed. And I was like, God, where were you when this was happening? Didn't you have the chance and ability to stop it from happening? God, are you still there? Those are questions that really bothered me. God, would you not have even asked Rebecca to get that particular phone? Maybe things could have been different if you would have received that call that afternoon rather than waiting until evening. God, did you know that there were having small children and small families that they needed to take care of them. This question really bothered me and was almost shaking my faith. But I received a still small voice saying, I am still on the throne, and I was on the throne. I was still there when my son was being brutalized by men. I am concerned, and I hate violence. This reminded me also of John, who had been in prison, John the Baptist, and he was calling out, doubting, like, I am here in prison. And remember, this is the same John, who had even said, there comes the Lamb of God. I can't even untie the laces of his shoes. And had the voice from heaven, say, this is my son. But John was now in prison and saying, have been here long enough. Jesus, are you the one or should we expect another one? If you are the one, could you have done something about my condition? But Jesus pointed him to a greater thing like, go and tell him what you see. The lame are able to walk. The blind are able to see. The good news is being preached to all. The big picture. So these words came to me and to know that God is concerned. Go is interested, and he still hates violence. What I propose to you, our brothers and sisters, is that God cares. God, in fact, cares about justice. In fact, justice is an integral, fundamental, and negotiable part of God's covenant. If we hope to grow in our spiritual walk and receive abundant blessings, and we need to learn to be concerned about things that God is concerned about, and justice is part of those things. Justice is the heartbeat of God. We need to be aware of how God hates injustice. From our reading this morning, we read from Isaiah 61, from verse 1 to 9, where the Lord says, I love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. As it was in the days of Isaiah, so it is in these current days. God stands on the side of those that are being violated. I believe that God hears the cry, he sees the suffering, and is concerned, about issues of injustice. Like Moses, God came in and called him, that now I have come from heaven, I want to rescue because I have seen, I have heard, and I'm concerned about the suffering of my people. Then go. And God is calling on us. He will not come physically from heaven. He's calling to us on the church and the body of Christ to Go to stand on the side of injustice. At AJM, we believe that though the problem of injustice can look like humongous and overwhelming, is doable. We believe that when the laws of a country are enforced, violence stops. Impunity stops. In Kenya, we have a plan to ensure that there is police accountability. Since the murder of Joseph Willie and Josphat, we have intensified our push for accountability among the police. This has been an issue ever since, that no police officer, whatever thing they have done, even if it's recorded on video, has ever been convicted. The first conviction the whole country was through a case that IGM was handling in 2015. We've had so many, over 260 clients whom we are removed from the prison who have been falsely accused, but no police officer had been convicted of that particular crime until 2015. Now, last year alone, we had 11 police officers being convicted of human rights violation, and this is huge, it's changing, and we are willing to continue pushing until there's accountability uh, for the issues of police. One of the other things is we are really mobilizing for those the highest in authority to also take up these issues of accountability so that we can have a police that is professional, respect the rule of law, and is concerned about what they do and human rights. This is indeed the miracles that we are seeing, and we believe that the church has a critical role to play in it, both the local church and the universal church. Because as Martin Luther King says, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We believe that we need to stand up as a church. Prophet Micah, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, says, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. For a long time, the body of Christ has excelled in showing mercy and compassion We've had an act of mercy, but it's recommending us to another dimension of doing and seeking justice for those that have been oppressed, brutalized, and downtrodden. That will define our walk with Christ. We need to identify the injustices that is within our community and stand up and not look the other side, but stand up against that. At IJM, we see injustice as an opportunity for us to intervene, to be the hands and the feet of God, so that by doing that, we bring his kingdom. The kingdom is to come. But we can have that glimpse of his kingdom when we rescue and grant people relief and freedom. It's a glimpse of the kingdom that will come where there will be no suffering, where there will be no oppression, where there will be no injustices. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the case of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Early on we watched the video of David. One thing that we did not mention or was not really highlighted much was the role that the church participated. The church was the one that mobilized the community to cry out and demonstrate on the street about what had happened to David. That's how IJM learned of the case and took up the case. They did not leave um, David there. They continued supporting him, visiting him when he was in jail, facing uh, robbery with violence cases. When he was out also, they supported him, taking him to school. We joined hand with them to take uh, David to university. After university also, they gave him an opportunity to serve within the church. As I started my remarks today by, re- we, uh, by us reading Isaiah 61, you will notice that those are the same same words that Christ used when he was starting off his public ministry. He picked up the scroll and read from Isaiah and said, Today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus made it clear that doing justice is a critical part of his ministry. And he expects his followers to follow suit. The world is watching to see if the people of God behave differently than the rest of the world. Not just talk differently, but act differently. If we don't seek justice in our daily lives, God says that our worship is a waste of time. Isaiah 58, verse 2 and 3 and 6, and I'm paraphrasing this, says we can fast. We can humble ourselves, yet if we do as we please, we exploit our workers, we do not break the chain of the oppressors, our fasting is in vain. In verse 6, then he tells us what to do. He says, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke free. God is displeased with a worship that does not include the ministry of justice. Every time we gather to worship, we are faced with an opportunity to evaluate and re-examine our ministry of injustice. Every church across the world is challenged to do this. Failing to do this puts our worship into jeopardy or risk. We as the Church of Christ have the duty and privilege of being God's instrument in seeking justice for the hurting world. Today, we can commit to become a partner with IJM in seeking this justice. You notice that there were some uh, cards that were put there. You can either become a prayer partner, which will be receiving uh, updates on issues to pray about, or a freedom partner where you can commit to be contributing whichever amount that you have on a regular basis to support this ministry of justice. My challenge to all of us, let us examine our hearts, our words and our deeds and recommit ourselves to doing justice for the glory of God. Amen.